0: House of the Dragons, Season 1, Episode 6, The Princess and the Queen. All right, opens up with a pretty intense birthing scene by Princess Renera, and we're introduced to the new actress playing that character.
1: I'm I remembered we go back to our, our first episode when we're just beginning to be introduced to everybody and figure out who they are, and Renera is talking with her, her mom, and her mom says, hey, a woman's battleground is in the birthing bed. And so now we see Renera in her battleground.
0: Prophetic words. Leonor even says, you know, when he's trying to be sympathetic in a (laughs) standard male uh, way that's kind of cringy, that he took a lance through the shoulder, which is no doubt painful, but it just, um, women don't want to hear that shit right after having a baby, right?
1: (laughs) Well, and and especially after... (laughs) Was it terribly painful? Right. No, no, it was just, you know, standard procedure. Like, just even the way he asked, which...
0: (laughs) It was, it was real, though. This is the way guys are. And there probably is very few things that are equivalent. And it's also just not the right time, even though he's trying to be sympathetic. And anyways.
1: I think it really illustrates well something about Laner that, I mean, the actor does a good job with it, but he's a bit of a dolt when it's anything outside of his own interests. He plays his part so he can have his life, but he, he's kind of clueless without being idiotic.
0: A few things to say about Laenor. Uh real quick. Just before we get that, as soon as the the baby is born, the queen has requested to see the baby. Um, did
1: you notice that the helping person said she wants to see him, not Queen Alicent or the queen? She just says she wants to see him, and that basically tells us that everybody knows who the she is. And I think that is also quite telling.
0: I did not notice that, and Renara is stubborn. Stubborn, yeah, she wants to meet this power play with her own power play, despite it being extremely painful and uncomfortable she she's not gonna be parted from that baby right away.
1: Do you think that's smart?
0: Well, yeah, for health reasons, no, but for the sake of not gonna be so easily pushed around mm-hmm. by Allison, it's probably smart, so then they're they're walking up the stairs, and this is where the conversation with Laner happens. They pass by a Lord Caswell, who says, oh, if I may be of any service, Princess Renera says, the day may yet come. Probably means nothing, but it also makes me wonder, like, we might need you in battle one day.
1: (laughs) This was something that really struck me the first time we watched, how few people bothered to be of assistance or help or congratulate. It just gave the impression that people don't really care for Lena or Renera or bother to ingratiate themselves much. She clearly looks like she just gave birth. And yet, court is just kind of happening as if everything is normal.
0: I don't know if I would take it that way. They all stopped and paused. and like I I think at that point, you can't... Like, what are they supposed to do? It's probably, if I were one of them, I would just stay out of the way. I I think what you're alluding at is that the kind of open secret of Leonor probably not being the father of these kids. Mm -hmm. And what a kind of farce it is that they're walking together and he's being the family man. And it's interesting because Leonor does seem happy and kind of excited at this moment. Yeah. So so he's a cook, <laughs> but he doesn't seem to mind. And he's, it's hard to get a read on exactly where he's at with this whole thing. So he's obviously, we th- see throughout the episode, he doesn't really like the arrangement. He wants to go do, do some adventure and do some other things, but he's also not, it's, it's not that he's not jealous of Harwin. He wouldn't be jealous of Harwin, but he's not jealous that his family, or he's not upset that his family is a farce and he still is willing to play family man. It's kind of weird.
1: Well, I feel like he's, In in some ways, getting all the benefits where he's able to live his life as he chooses. And Renera is very clear to him of like, you get the best horses, you drink the best wine, you get to be with whoever you want to be as often as you want to. And I'm sure there's rumors about that, but the rumors are all about the parentage and not about anything else. And so he basically gets to live the life that he wants to, but he doesn't have to do a whole lot of duty. He, he performs the role so that he can do what he wants. and
0: Well, do what he wants in the context of being there. But he doesn't want to be there. He wants to go adventure. But what I'm talking about is the fact that if Renera dies and Jace becomes king, that's not Lanor's offspring. You would think at the very least he would want the king to be a Valerian.
1: Yeah, and... but if it requires him to have to have sex with someone that he doesn't, he may not care. And if he gets it in name... Because they do get his last name, remember. It's only when the child ascends the throne that it goes to Targaryen. So this way, Laner gets a family and can continue the name without having to maybe partake in acts that he wishes not to. Yeah. So if, if you come from it from that stance, he's kind of getting everything that he wants. He's able to have a legacy and a family without having to do certain parts of it. So I actually, I got the impression he was quite content with this arrangement. He was being a bit self-indulgent when he wanted to go off and fight because I get it, but that's one part where he's a little bit uh, naive of thinking if you're a dad, you can't just abandon your family.
0: Yeah, I just think he's a little too content with this situation of not his offspring being the heir to the throne. But
1: Do you know who I think won't be content about it?
0: Who? Corliss. Corliss. You're right. Yeah.
1: And and his mom, uh, uh, Rainey's. I could see them having
0: yeah. <laughs> a very big issue with this. Yeah.
1: But I Laner didn't seem too perturbed.
0: So then Ranira walks the baby to meet Alicent.
1: Well, and something else that Laner says to Ranira as they're walking, and he says something along the lines of, "What does she want? I thought we were past this." Right. So we know that this has been going on for a long time, and that there's been kind of just this back and forth of animosity, conflict.
0: Yeah, I don't want to get too far into Alison's state of mind right here yet because I'll have a whole, whole spiel on her, but this is obviously an in-poor-taste power play that she's she's doing here or whatever whatever her motivation is. But then when the baby comes in and they meet it, she seems to be genuinely shocked that it's Minera Rain- who brought the baby and offers her a seat and everything.
1: Well, and she offers her a pillow.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she... Alicent knows what it's like to just give birth. She also has given birth three times.
0: But then Viserys shows up, and he's not disturbed by this whole thing. He walks in, and he's happy to see the newborn son. And he doesn't even seem to notice that Rhaenyra just walked there, uh, you know, immediately after having a baby, and is all sweaty and bloody and everything.
1: Yeah, he was kind of aloof a lot of this episode.
0: He's also missing his left arm. Which, somehow, upon first viewing, we didn't really notice. But that left arm is gone. So yeah, they,
1: they... I paid attention to some camera angles afterwards. And they make an effort to hide it sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's when he first walks up that you really notice it. And his shirt... His sleeve is hanging. But, yeah, he is... He's further along. It's falling apart. But not, not as far as you might think, based on last episode. So we'll get there in a few minutes. And then, when the meeting ends... Lenor and Rhaenyra leave with the baby... And Leonor and Kristen Cole have a little stare down here. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is after Leonor names uh, the baby Joffrey. <laughs> you know, after the one that Cole killed with apparently zero consequences.
1: That disappointed me.
0: That is the problem with a time jump like this. A 10-year time jump. The last episode ends with Cole hitting Leonor and killing his lover. And Alicent saving him from his about-to-be-suicide, but there's no consequences of this. Or at least we didn't see it and they weren't harsh enough for it to be anything. But that's, yeah, that seems like quite the oversight.
1: Yeah, and I just don't really understand how that could just have zero consequences because it's not like he just killed someone of no consequence to anyone else, like a peasant. He killed someone who of a certain rank and that was of a certain importance, enough to travel with the Valerian family. I find it hard to believe that Corliss would just be like, nah, it's okay. Because regardless of the relationship they had with Lenor, someone from his house, representing his house, was savagely killed in front of everybody during a wedding feast.
0: Yeah. And Lenor was punched. And they put that in there. That didn't have to be part of it. Yeah. But they specifically made Cole punch him. So I guess we can just assume that Alicent somehow pulled rank hair and had some politicking to do, but... um...
1: But she's that good to (laughs) outmaneuver everyone else, including the king, who would always trump her. Like, this was a scene I needed to see, and we didn't. And then only to have this episode where Cole gets hit a few times by the Lord Commander, and he loses his entire post. So his whole career goes down the toilet in one second.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, scene number two is at Renera's home when the baby arrives and Harwin is there waiting. Yeah. And um, so he's the father, as we know, and as almost everybody else knows, or at least I will by the end of this episode.
1: I like this scene, though, because you you have Laner, Renera, and Harwin, and they have, it's just, it's a really interesting family dynamic, but there's a harmony here. It works. This is a a different version of what family can mean, but nobody was upset there. And then even Harwin asks to hold the babe and they all know what it means. And I just really appreciate how Laenor right away hands it to him and then takes the other boys so that they can have some alone time, him and Rhaenyra. I just thought it was very thoughtful given the moment.
0: Right. And before Leonor handed off the baby, he was like kind of doting over the baby. And then when he leaves, he nods to Harwin and it's not a... Jealous, weird, not. Yeah. It's you know, it's, it's like, like
1: they're one big family. Yeah, it was one of the few moments where I was just like, "Oh, that's that's sweet." And I just I appreciated the looks that happen sometimes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a picture says a thousand words. They're cooking an egg for the baby. They're heating one up. So lots of talk about eggs and dragons and kids and newborns and everything throughout this episode. But they uh, the two strong boys or the two Valerian boys would be their last name, mm-hmm. are uh, are cooking an egg for their little brother.
1: Just as Rhaenyra says later on, you're Targaryen and that's all that matters. So strong, Valerian, like all this. like For a lot of Targaryens, the main piece that really matters is that they are Targaryen, which right. they are, and it's why they're able to tame their dragons.
0: All right, next scene, we're introduced to the Dragon Pit, which is pretty cool. The uh, Colosseum-looking area
1: so does that mean that they used to have people in there what do you mean like it looks like a coliseum like with stands
0: oh yeah well it's it's not
1: like just a a a pit in the ground you know like it looks like people look into it like the roman coliseum
0: yeah they probably it's probably multi-use they probably do tournaments and stuff in there too
1: underground Uh,
0: no they i think they can close those garage doors or we can pretend (laughs) pretend they can (laughs) it's like
1: an advanced stadium
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) So we meet Vermax, Vermax is going to be Jace's dragon. Okay. So I, I, I might butcher some of these names here, but Vermax is the young dragon. Jace says Dracarys, and he eats the, the goat. He's learning how to kind of tame this dragon, and the dragon keeper is helping him through it.
1: Well, and they're trying to become what they say is fully bound which is not really something I recall hearing much about before. And this is clearly part of the dragon lore and and culture of... I remember thinking it's amazing that Dani ever learned to do anything with her dragons because she had no idea what to do. There was no history or culture or people to help her, where all these people are getting help from the very beginning to help bind them to their dragons, to be fully bound. And then we learned something, or at least I did, that once you're fully bound, the dragon will take direction from no one else.
0: Which is contradicted by Danny and Jon Snow, um, and, and well, you know, how many can,
1: dragons can you be fully bound to?
0: Right, and Danny can apparently rent one of them out, um, <laughs> but Jon clearly does ride Danny's dragon. But yeah, whatever the case. So here, if Jace can connect with Vermex, that will it will refuse to take orders from an animal. So that'll become his dragon.
1: But it, it does tell us a couple things. One, that just because you're a dragon rider doesn't mean you can just hop on to any old dragon.
0: Yeah, you have to have you have to tame it somehow. You have to connect with it and create that kind of like avatar where they connect their hair. <laughs> 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 you have to do that, not as biologically, more more like psych- There's sonically. a magical
1: connection that yeah. happens where they they get bound, but it lends though. Like it's not like you can just have a bunch of Targaryens who commit themselves to you. And then you steal someone else's dragon, and they can just ride them for you. That, but I believe though, what releases someone is death. So that's why Lena is able to ride Vagar because Vagar used to belo- belong to someone else. But when their rider died, it left Vagar open.
0: Right. We see here the Strongs. That's what I'm going to call Rhaenyra's kids. Is the Strongs, the Strongs, and the Targaryens mm-hmm. working together? There's. Doesn't seem to be much tension right now because they work together to set up this prank on uh, Edmund, I believe is his name, or Amund.
1: Aidmund.
0: Aidmund, yeah. Aidmund. So they work together to set up this pig thing.
1: But clearly, there's a huge age gap here between the strong children and the eldest Targaryen. At one point, even Allison says, You're almost a man grown, right. he is the ringleader.
0: The first time we watched it, I thought this was kind of a mean prank. But then the sec- second time I watched it, it's not, not that mean of a prank. we got to remember that these are little kids. It's just very sensitive subject for Amund, obviously, because he doesn't have a dragon. So he's the one out of these four that doesn't.
1: Yeah, so it appears that Rhaenyra's two each have a dragon. Which means they're already magically bound from birth, which is what Lena has explained to her her daughter, who de- also doesn't have a dragon in this episode, that it's easier for a Targaryen when you're bound at birth, but it's not impossible then.
0: Right. So if the egg hatches, you get it early on. But if it doesn't, you might be able to find one later.
1: I <clears> did <throat> think that Aegon was being an asshole to Aemond here. He-, he was being... Like, you can tell there's not a lot of love between them. He doesn't act brotherly or super kind. And he takes no accountability for being the asshole that he is. He, he passes it off onto other kids. And that's...
0: When you wonder if it's because Aemond doesn't have a dragon that Aegon thinks less of him. So they all leave, but then Aemond goes down into the dragon pit, which is probably a dumb move. Um, But he goes down there and sees a dragon. I don't know which one it was, a big one. And gets basically chased off by fire. Which
1: it sounds like he's done it before, because Alicent's like, not again.
0: Right. Do you think this is foreshadowing? Do you think that... He's going to do it again, and maybe it'll be a bad consequence. Because the way it was filmed, it almost looked like he was going to get roasted here.
1: It made me think of the Martell that we never got introduced to in the show. And I was like, oh, is this what it kind of would have looked like?
0: Real (laughs) quick, you're thinking of Quentin Martell, I believe. Yes. Who goes down to try to impress Danny by getting a dragon, and the dragon cooks him.
1: (laughs) You know, childhood years are really significant in terms of a lot of the wounds or the love and all the different things that you can receive in childhood can stay with you for a lifetime. So when I look at Amond here, I believe that this is a lot of setup for his future character. I don't think he's just gonna like get burnt by a dragon because I think it would be so much harder to get bound to a dragon and all of this if they could just roast you so easily at any moment. like. You have to be careful around them, sure, but I just, he shouldn't be killed that easily with something like this, um, that the dragons would have to be guarded around the clock just to protect people or something. So, But I, I think the how much he's chastised and belittled, how less than he probably feels by not having a, a dragon be born with his birth, like these things, I, to me it feels like a lot of setup for him of, I'm guessing, when we get further time jumps of... Who Aymond will be will become. Like I don't think this is the end of Aymond.
0: And in the very next scene, the close viewer of the show might have noticed something. So Allison's is tutoring her daughter Helena, Helena, Helena. I'm not sure which one it is.
1: I, they say Helena.
0: Okay, and is informed that Amond did it again. But Helena here is talking about this um, centipede type thing that she has crawling around in her hand.
1: So one of the things that I first thought here with Helena is, is she neurodivergent? Is she someone who might fit? Like, so a lot of neurodivergent people have ADHD or autism or some other things that aren't necessarily um, like, the, it's not the same as like anxiety or depression. It's just your brain works differently because we see that she's got this large bug collection, which in and of itself isn't necessarily an indication of that, but it could be. But she's very fixated on this and talking about it away way a little bit either uninterested or not engaged with all the other conversation around her. She's talking about like that centipede and such, but then you and I n- talked about someone as we watched it the second time.
0: Well, right. So you know, you basically had to have the captions on to catch this, but when Alicent is discussing Amond Hel- Helena says he'll have to close an eye, or have an eye close. What did, what did it say? So
1: Alicent told Amund. Uh, so, they're editing this scene where we're getting a conversation with Alicent and Eamon as he's just brought back from the dragon pit. And it's intersplicing between Alicent and Eamon's conversation and whatever Helena is speaking out loud to herself. And Allison just tells Eamon that he will have a dragon one day. And then immediately it cuts to Helena and she says he'll have to close uh, an eye.
0: Right so she might be a what are they called a dream seer or a dreamer a or dreamer. something which is Viserys wishes he was a dreamer or possibly was a dreamer once so these Targaryens seem to have predictive powers almost yeah. like green seers and then Alicent is meeting with Viserys and the discussion over this prank is is they're discussing this prank and she's blaming it on the strong kids she even <laughs> calls them savages
1: Viserys the even says you know, did Aegon have anything to do with it? So Viserys has already cottoned on a little bit to this. And this is a moment where we see Alicent just be willfully in denial yeah. about her own children, which is such a theme of parents being in denial of their kids.
0: And it's there's, there's two kind of denials, I feel like, that's happening. Mm-hmm. There's denial that Viserys has, which is he's not unaware. He's, he's avoiding. He's choosing to look the other way, pretend it doesn't exist, because so much of... The question of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, but going back to the original Game of Thrones is, where does power reside, right? Does it reside in the king, the queen, the people, blah, blah, blah. So if the people believe it's a problem, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But if the people don't care, they don't care. So Viserys is choosing not to not to care about these things. Well, and
1: they've gotten away with it thus far. Right. And that's why he's saying, I've told you before, we let's not speak of this, don't speak of this again, because what you suggest would be catastrophic for his family, and that's something where I, I can't believe it's, he's not more angry about how Allison is like a dog with a bone with this and how Viserys is like, Are you trying to destroy my family?
0: Allison's denial is real denial. Like, she, if uh, Aegon says it was the Strongs, then it was the Strongs. So they talk a lot about the biases of people in this show the, the bias of Otto and the bias of Lionel Strong as Hand of the King. But Allison's biases are extremely strong here. Yeah. So Allison's. As far as we can tell, has spent the last ten years of the time jump being stressed out about Otto's message that they're going to have to take out her and her children. And it's just, consuming her from the inside. It yeah. has been the whole time, and that's and, that's why she's so hard to watch. This episode, she
1: is really hard, and she's just she's very self indulgent about herself. Like I felt bad for her when she didn't really have friends or connections anymore, but now it's like, well, it's because you act like that, and then you align yourself with people that aren't like, I, I still think, uh, sir, Kristen Cole is unhinged. We, I mentioned that last week and yep, he's just, nothing's changed in 10 years and that's one of her confidants. And then Lari's like, uh, but, but she's like, does anyone want my side? And she's all for like Otto being partial to her. But she says this question when she's with, uh, the series where she's, Basically saying, like, it's a wonder that Rhaenyra's kids' eggs would hatch at all. And why would she say that? Because Rhaenyra's kids are just as much Targaryen as Alicent's kids are. So I don't understand why she would question that. It's not like dragons hatch just because of someone's, like, bastard status. It just was such a indication of how she thinks she's so much better. And her kids are so much better Targaryens than Rhaenyra's kids. And all it right, just doesn't this, make sense. It was
0: like a classicist. A classicist. Class war thing going on here because when she's talking to Kristen Cole in the next scene, she's like, Just decency, you know, where's yeah. the decency with all this?
1: But she's hiding behind decency. Really, what it is is just her own personal vendettas and aspirations. Like, the big thing that they talk about is people being self interested, and oh my god, she's so self interested. Yeah, and then I just, Kristen Cole, now that we're talking about him and Allison talking, like, was, <laughs> my note just says, bitter asshole exclamation point (laughs) right he's he's a little
0: too comfortable he calls Renera a cunt and he apologizes but right that's how a bitter person sounds right as Alicent is talking
1: about decency
0: right and then there was something else that happened here and I I could be looking way too into this but Alicent and Cole turn and face each other and he's got his sword looking very phallic it's it's sticking (laughs) Now, wait a minute. So, they're looking at each other. And I'm serious. It looks It's pointing straight at her. And she looks at it for like five seconds before they start their conversation. So, with all this decency talk.
1: Well, and also. Prob- she- probably
0: nothing going on there. But it's. Worth considering.
1: It's also later, it looks like she meets with Laris alone in her chambers and even tells her maid to leave, yeah. which gives the appearance that they could be doing more than talking. And so again, if someone's so concerned with decency and modesty... and
0: Right. Perception versus reality is a big theme in this show and, and in, in this episode. And the perceptions here that Alsan could be given off are not great. And when Alsan is discussing things with Cole here, This is the first of at least two times in this episode where she says something. You mentioned this in our short podcast. She's speaking too freely and too comfortably with the people. So she says with Cole, like, how how can nobody see what's right in front of their faces? Blah, blah, blah. So Cole later, I don't think he's unhinged. I think he takes this as an invitation. Like, oh, Allison wants this to be exposed. So I'm going to expose it by trolling. But that's literally on. what
1: happens with Laris.
0: Right, exactly. So this is the first of at least two times where she just speaks. Yep. And then the, the people take it as, <laughs> you know, to, the people take it in a way a little too, uh, literally, I guess, or a little too. Uh, well,
1: she's too familiar and they're meeting her step for step with that familiarity. And it's like, well, what'd you think would happen? Like, so that's, this is again, a part of my reasoning from our first impressions podcast of. I, this is why she was the loser. She's just acting way too naive with the power she has as queen and the power that she wields the way that she does. We see so often in this episode, like you and, just can't afford to be that naive.
0: Yeah. And too desperate. That 10 years of eating her up is making her like, oh, I'm so alone. So she's like confiding in these people. She's also bitter. Are... And then we see Aegon wanking it out the window. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> Which kind of, I think there's so many different ways they could have filmed that scene but he's doing it in such a, I'll do whatever I want. Don't give a fuck kind of attitude thing.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I, ugh, yeah. When Allison walks in, she's like standing there already. It's not like she opens the door. She right. walks in and stands there and then says something.
0: At least he shows a little shame. He hides himself. And I don't
1: think it's shame. I think it's, he does not want his mom to see him in this state.
0: Well, right. But that would. That's not shame. It's embarrassment. Shame. There, uh, Yeah. Embarrassment, I guess. So yeah, so they, they start talking and Aegon blames the strong boys for the prank that happened. But then he also calls his brother a twat. So he yeah. he uh, apparently doesn't like his brother or at least doesn't respect him because he didn't get his own dragon or for whatever reason. But Allison is... You but know, he
1: doesn't say that about the strong kids.
0: Right, yeah. But he does blame them for... Right. Does he blame them for yeah, the he prank? Yeah, he blames them. Because okay.
1: Allison directly, like, did what part did you have? And he's like, oh, it must have been one of them. Or I can't remember. But he, yeah. he blames both these really young kids.
0: And then this is where I, th- I think is actually one of the more tragic scenes or tra- tragic conversations in the show. Because these poor kids don't stand a chance. Because she's, like, telling him that he's going to be in danger. And he's like, well, I just won't challenge. You know, like, yep. whatever. But she's like, you, you don't get it. You are the challenge. Like, whether she's right or not she's channeling her inner Otto and is transferring it on to him. And he, maybe she's right and it's just real politic and that's just the way it is. But maybe she's wrong and these forces, these, these parents are putting things in motion that could be avoidable. Yeah. and uh, that's Because the only... if they
1: make it really clear, my son is not going to try for the throne. So all you people in the realm here, if the family disavows themselves from such a notion... I think there's a good chance that, like, the realm can't make someone who doesn't want to be king and a family who's not going to support it king. Uh, And and clearly here, Aegon very easily was like, oh, I just won't do it. Like, he does not care. It's like he doesn't want to be king. And that says something quite a lot here because supposedly for the last 13 years, right? Because we had a 10-year time jump and he was at least three years old. Yep. That So he's close to the age that Allison was when we first meet her in this series. And you would think after being raised under Allison's hand and, and, and all of her, her heavy handedness with all of this, that he would at least want to be king, that she would have poured honey into his ear enough to, to do that. But yet he doesn't care at all about it. He's pretty apathetic and just very easily says, I won't challenge for it.
0: It's also unclear of how much they're preparing him to be a king. Like... um. He's, he trains in the yard and, you know, surely he does his studies and stuff, but as much as she wants something, Viserys is certainly not treating this boy like the heir, right? So mm-hmm. it might not even occur to him that he's supposed to be, well, it apparently doesn't. Um, but she's like, you idiot.
1: <laughs> something that really sunk in with this particular scene was, I remember really feeling for Alicent when she was about this age and the way Otto treated her. That there was like this innocence that she still had or was trying to maintain, and Otto was slowly taking it more and more away from her by engaging in all this politicking and what he, he how he maneuvers her, and now she's doing it to her own kid. Talk about a transmission of a way of being and treatment and ideas across generations here. I find her worse than Otto was to her. And that hurts. That hurts to see, knowing how you once felt for her and now how she, because how, just how she gets in his face and how Otto even, didn't even quite do that, at least the scenes that we saw. So
0: Yeah, she seems more aggressive and more desperate and more stressed out than Otto, pushing it harder. Although Aegon seems like more of a fuck-up than she was at that age. So maybe yeah. she, 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 he needs the message more in that fashion.
1: But well, I mean, that's a theme here a little bit about how girls and boys, men and women are treated differently. Like, it's part of the thing that Allison told Renera is that you have to hold certain things in, in such a high regard because it's, it's one of the few things that we have for us. Um, and so chastity before you're married is one of them. And, and, you know, I think Allison really did. She was very prim and proper and followed all the rules. And but, you know, the. I get the impression a lot of these uh, boys are treated differently.
0: So let's skip the Daemon scene, and let's do all Daemon scenes together toward the end. Um, so we can stay at King's Landing. for Okay. So then they're all in the training yard, and Cole is training the kids, the Strongs and the Targaryens together. Viserys is watching.
1: This is a very aloof thing for series, He's like, oh, training together, bonding together. And it's like, are you watching the same thing that the rest of us are here?
0: Well, to be fair, he starts saying that early <laughs> before, before things started to get uncomfortable. Yeah, he, he thinks that this is the way to do it. And Lord Strong is uh, a little more skeptical. Doesn't argue with him or anything, but that is the hope, <laughs> he says, or something like that.
1: But this is yet another scene we get of Sir Kristen Cole and we are like we, we had that one with him and Allison, and now we see here, and he is just a jackass with a vengeance. He he's so like his mental stability, I do question a little bit. He's a good warrior, but like I don't I don't trust this guy at all. He's so bitter and angry.
0: Yeah, so he's training the kids and he sets up a fight between the two oldest boys, Aegon and Jace, which is clearly a mismatch. He does make a good point that in battle you can't expect fairness. But still, these are children and they're, they're cornering them. So this is, you know, a division amongst these two groups. But Cole is cornering the Targaryens and Harwin is cornering his children.
1: But this is kind of going back to what did Cole hear when he heard Allison speaking before? And he's basically maneuvering a situation. To bring forward what Allison is complaining that why is am I the only one who sees this? So he's he's manipulating the situation right. and, gonna and
0: make sure everybody sees it.
1: He's doing it well, and you know I already mentioned I didn't understand why Sir Harwin had to lose everything with this scene, but it's just so ironic. The irony of how Cole didn't lose everything when he probably should have, and yet Sir Harwin did lose everything when I don't think he should have. Well,
0: he lost his position in the Gold Cloaks. But he, I mean, it's still the area. He was
1: Lord Commander.
0: Right. But he wasn't sent to the wall. He wasn't, you know, executed. But for (laughs)
1: punching somebody? (laughs) Right. He wasn't even seriously hurt or maimed. Like, again, the irony of what happened with Kristen Cole and now here with Harwin Strong, it just didn't add up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So not only did he beat up Cole while being provoked, which was Cole's plan, he also grabbed Aegon, which th- doesn't really matter because when Viserys was watching, he was like, Aegon, you know, when he, when Aegon was talking shit after Harwin. But Harwin uh, is clearly coming off as the better man in all these scenes.
1: I really liked Harwin. <laughs> I remember once reading somewhere, someone's like, he can come break my bones any day. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I just liked the guy who played him. There was a lot that he was able to transmit and communicate in his scenes without having words to do so. The looks that he gives to Ranera or his boys or the kiss on a forehead. Or I just, I liked him. I liked his character. It seemed like he had genuine affection for Ranera and his, for his family. And like his setup, like the whole way we're talking about last episode of Kristen Cole could have just gone along with it. It would have been a great setup. Well, we've got it here. It was a great setup and everything was kind of working here and people were happy. And it just... It's just This is the tragedy uh, that I think the Game of Thrones universe does is you see moments like this of like, oh, it'd be so great only if. Yeah. Only if Ned didn't lose his, his head and or Robert didn't even ask him to be hand or whatever. And it's just like, oh, only if. And
0: yeah, we're reminded in this episode, never get comfortable mm-hmm. watching this show and who you might like.
1: Well, unhappy people don't last, do they?
0: Right. Well, you're right. The Strongs, Harwin and Lionel are at this point are two probably favorite characters. Yeah. Like, uh, they're the most likable and...
1: Very likable, both of them.
0: Even in this next scene where they're arguing with each other and Renera overhears it, they're arguing about, like, honor and they both have their own honor. Like, Harwin's honor as a man and as a father can't let Cole get away with that. But then Strong's, you know, (laughs) sense of honor is like, we're all dead. If, mm-hmm. That's not a sense of honor, but he's, he's explaining to Harwin, like, we're all dead if this comes to light. It's a pretty um,
1: prophetic statement because it's, that's
0: right. what happens. Uh, yeah, so they could face exile and death, he says. And then they, he says it's only Viserys' willful blindness that's keeping them safe.
1: The willful blindness of a father to his child. What a great scene because he's talking about Viserys to Rhaenyra, but this is also Lionel Strong talking about it to his son, and then he's talking about it to his son about being a father to his sons. Yeah. So it's like meta willful blindness of a father to his child in the scene.
0: Well, notice too that while they're discussing it and we're overhearing it, it comes up a, three or, well, a couple of times where Lionel could have explicitly stated the problem, but he didn't. So mm-hmm. he can't bring himself to say... You know, you're, you're their father and they're bastards and you're doing too much. He, we all know what he's talking about, but he refuses to say it. And he also refuses to say it, obviously, later when he talks to the series.
1: I'm trying to remember here, but actually, do any of the adults anywhere full on out come out and say it plainly except for uh, Jace? When he's like, am I a bastard? Is it only the kid who actually says the words? Is, is Harwin Strong my father? Am I a bastard? He comes out and says it right. plainly.
0: The rest is all insinuations.
1: Or people just not saying it. Yeah, like speaking around it.
0: Well, the reason I say insinu- insinuations is that's precisely what Renara and Lanor talk about in the next scene. And Laenor, you know, scoffs. Oh, insinuations, are they? And this is a weird thing because Renera's like... So this is when Laenor shows up with Carl... Carl with a Q, to the, to the house. <laughs> they're drunk and partying. And um, Renera is like, you know, these gross insinuations, blah, blah, blah. So this is like a weird thing that they all know it's true, but they're still dancing around it while they talk to each other. And well, and you
1: never know not. who might be listening. So the servants and things. So what we do see is pretty much all along, they still speak to each other and act when there's the potential of other people being around as if things aren't what they are. So even when the baby's first born, Harwin and Renera still, like, they're not a super affectionate with each other. There's maybe a glance or a look here, but they're, they're upholding the, these roles.
0: Right. So the stepstones were talked about here, and Leonor wants to go. There's a, uh, I don't know what we would call it, a cross-dressing general over there. <laughs> um,
1: Well, you know, from Westerosi culture, but in Tairoshi culture, there's nothing weird about dyeing your hair blue or purple. That's consistent with in Game of Thrones or these other things. So I just think it's lack of understanding of differing cultures.
0: Right. But he also does say the women's frocks. Um, So it's more than just the the dyed hair. But I guess when we meet this character, we'll see, you know, precisely how.
1: So we do meet this character?
0: Well, I'm assuming so. Um
1: because a lot of times they talk about people in right. faraway lands and we never well, meet Well, the Stepstones
0: comes up three times in this episode. Yeah. And this person is, um, you know, in the Stepstones, apparently. But Lanor wants to go. Renera says, you can't go. And she orders him not to go as, you know, the heir. And he, he gives the statement that the wise sailor leaves as the storm is gathering. So she will use these words against him later. or Not, not against him, but she will use these words to get them to Dragonstone later. Because the storm is gathering, and mm-hmm. all can see. And also, we, so we get the small council meeting, mm-hmm. and we see that Rhaenyra and Alicent are there.
1: So it makes sense that Rhaenyra is there. Right. Alicent, this does not make sense based on how we understand it. It's not like we, well, you know, Cersei did show up at a lot of them at some point, but that not when Robert was king.
0: Right. I mean, she's, she's playing a role. She's almost, in many ways, the voice for the series. But um, does he
1: need her? She coddles him like a child in for, front of everybody.
0: Yeah. And he... Um, well, we get some new characters here. Well, we get, we get a few things going on. So Lord Beesbury, who's the master of coin, appears to be getting a little old and slow, <laughs> so he can't keep up with the conversation. Yeah. And, it, and
1: we have a new maester.
0: We have a new maester who was the guy in the last episode... So I, I Maybe think, that's
1: why Viserys is still alive.
0: Well, right. That's the thing. So Viserys was a total mess last episode, passing out a number of times, bleeding from... Anyways, so Viserys is doing um, a little better than we might have expected after 10 years from last episode, even he's though he's missing his old. arm and he's an old man. Yeah. So I guess we can chalk up, chalk it up to the last maester being incompetent. I guess maybe he wasn't poisoning him, or if he was and he died, he, the, the poisoning is over. This does happen in the book, too, where Viserys does get a little better with age. He looks bad, and then he gets better. But in the book, Viserys is not as destroyed as he is here on the show. Hmm. Like, he's he's got his problems, and he gets he has, like, gout, and he gets heavy and stuff. But he, as far as I remember, he doesn't lose his arm, and he doesn't have all these legions and stuff that are quite so bad.
1: Well, and I wonder, too, that Viserys a big part of what made him better. Because he ruled for a time... Before all this naming Rhaenyra and stuff like that, there there was a whole time uh, that he did that. I think the loss of Emma kind of just destroys a piece of him that he can't ever really recover from. And at first, Alicent was just such a huge salve to that wound. But then now we see how Alicent is. I don't think he like you mentioned once that it was like a loveless marriage, and uh, and I was like, no, you can see a lot of camaraderie and stuff. And like he kisses her on the cheek here. You
0: mean between Viserys and Alicent? Yeah,
1: and, and, but. She's not really kind or warm to him for his sake at all. And he's not dumb. He knows that. And I, I think he's lonely. And I think he misses having a mate, a true mate. And it started off kind of okay, given what the circumstances were with Allison, But I think that has been long gone.
0: Now. Well, right. With Otto's departure, it seems like Allison has become focused on one thing at the detriment of everything else. And it's been rough for everybody around. I and mean, we see several times in this episode... Her walk away from the series, and she's lost respect for him. Uh, before we get there, though, still sticking with this small council meeting. Mm-hmm. There's a discussion of the stepstones, and who, whoever it is, there's a new character there, who who's kind of like, oh, Damon won a battle one time and gave him king and declared himself king. Where's yeah. Damon? So we don't really know who this guy is, uh, but he's the new. <laughs> knew something on the small council
1: it shows us though that the amount of respect even if it's enough to fear damon at the small council meeting that was there when the show first started with corliss and how other people spoke it's not there anymore yeah they don't take damon seriously so damon being gone has definitely left a mark in terms of how much he's thought of and in what ways
0: there's also discussion of things in the riverlands and how it's a totally problem they're talking about the The Brackens and the Blackwoods feud, which these are the same people who fought over Ranera at uh, Storm's End. Mm -hmm. So this feud has been going on for a long time and it's still going on and appears to be escalating. So somebody, one of them is saying we should let the Tollies take care of it. Another one's saying they should do more. But that's just, you know, kind of interesting. Well,
1: Allison's talking as if she's the leader of the small council meeting and leaving it that. And twice during this meeting, Ranera goes against what or, or speaks out against kind of where uh, allison's thoughts are or even where the group's thoughts are so about the stepstones and then also about this tully blackwood and what's
0: the other um the blackwoods and the brackens the
1: brackens yeah and so this was one of the few times in the episode where i recognized Renera.
0: yeah yeah and then there's the the discussion over expenses and what's more expensive going to war or waiting to go to war so it's just kind of an interesting dilemma that is all governments everywhere have to face. Mm-hmm.
1: There was this one uh, small scene. It just it was so like, ah, like like it was well done and good. It just it evokes that response with with Allison. But Renera brings up a good point that again the Blackwoods and the what? Brackens. The Brackens, uh, and she's like, talk to the common folk and they'll tell you what happened. Which I actually thought was a very good. Uh, um, potential solution to this issue to get to the bottom of it and it's the opposite of Renara that we saw when Damon took her out and she's like I don't need to care what these people think now she knows how valuable they can be at least in this regard and proposes it and then Lord Strong says that shouldn't be too difficult and right away Allison goes of course sir. Right. Uh, the way I took that was of course Lord Strong would listen to Rhaenyra, um, but not to other things um, so that he's biased to her in that sort of way, but she's so obvious about it, and like her eye roll could be heard miles away.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Allison, she's getting a little too big for her britches. Is that this <laughs> the phrase? Yeah. She's, yeah, she's she's playing she, above her role here.
1: I, this is something that I I had written of the scene with her and Viserys where she like tucks him in and he's like I don't want to be tucked in and she does it anyway but then when he has to be tucked in she just leaves the room after the whole hand thing <laughs> yeah. but it, she's just so hard to like this episode like at least Damon in the way that just Matt Smith is is portraying him is even when Damon's being a dick you still like his character but I like I, Olivia Cook is doing a really good job with with Allison but oh she's just so hard to, to like in any way she just has a sour look on her face like constantly
0: and renera proposes a marriage here between her son and alicent's daughter which may be a good solution to this the series liked it the series liked it yep and can't Al- he
1: do what renera did to Laris of i command you to make this happen
0: he could order it but Allison since will take it under consideration But then later when she's with just Viserys, she says, basically, you know, when I'm in my grave or whatever, when I'm dead and buried. So she's offended by this whole um, indecency thing. And also, I think she doesn't want her kids to be married to bastards. And like, I think it's, it's not just her resentment of things. It's like a, like a kind of class thing again, Mm -hmm. it seems to be, she's just a little too snobby for this because this could be a way of just evaporating the tensions I don't know if it would be or not. It's we still are faced with the fact that against the male error. But Rhaenyra's making a last ditch attempt to find a solution, and Alicent is just so so committed to this thought process that she's been stuck in that she can't see any way. She's she's basically decided that Rhaenyra's kids uh, have to go.
1: She's not wrong in that Rhaenyra is getting desperate. I think everybody saw that Rhaenyra later says when she's talking to. Laenor that uh, she made a spectacle and everybody will continue talking, but they can talk while we're gone. Um, but she, she really puts herself out there, but she could have proposed this when Jace was first born.
0: It's only now that things are out in the open. Right. Yeah. So,
1: like, Alicent calls that one. Yeah. And, and that's where Rhaenyra screwed up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. So we, we see the scenes that you talked about before where Alicent and Viser- Viserys are alone and Alicent uh, is told to him like first first she's babying him but then she's we'll see later she just gets mad when he refuses to accept lionel's resignation which lionel is resigning. you know nominally due to conflicts of interest and how he can't be biased anymore which is completely true but it could also be things are out in the open now and his son is in danger and they're in danger yeah, I,
1: I, I think it's ultimately to protect his son and and that that line and, and wherever things may end up going so if you know Renner ends up being queen and that's okay then fine but that's my biggest take on it um and this gives him the opportunity but it's also his hands are tied with what Harwin does in that uh training yard that he re- realizes he now needs to make a big move Viserys says something to him that I remember hearing the first time we watched but it didn't sink in until the second time we watched Viserys says to Lord Strong that he did not serve his hand with self-interest, unlike all others. Yeah. And he says this in front of Allison, and it cuts to her right after he says this. So he's basically saying, like, hey, your predecessor, Otto, served with self-interest.
0: Yeah. And, but then Viserys refuses to accept the resignation. He says, you have to say Why? Directly, and Allison's like, Yeah, yeah, you have to say why, <laughs> which is <laughs>
1: such a funny thing. After Viserys is like, Come plainly and tell me this. When Otto says about Renera and Damon,
0: Lionel again refuses to say it, which is wise. Like, I agree. It, as, as long as everyone's playing pretend, this could maybe work,
1: but it's also showing, I know, I know that you know that I know, like, we're putting it out that we're speaking around this, but I'm letting you know that I know too, and I'm trying to uphold some sense of honor, giving up this like, second most powerful position in the land because I know that you know that I know.
0: Right. Yep. But Allison doesn't want the games and the tiptoeing anymore. But Lionel is, is wise to not, not say it.
1: Mm-hmm. But he does get permission to take his son to Hall.
0: <clears throat> so after this scene, just quickly, Alicent is going to meet with Larry's strong, so the, the third one. And as she's walking, there's a scene where there's a servant girl standing there. She walks by, and then the servant girl, like, runs off. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the servant is scared of Alicent, and that's how painful to be around she's become, or if there's some spy-type stuff going on here. It's, it's unclear, but they did make it a point for us to see that.
1: I think she wants to speak openly with Laris.
0: Well, so she dismisses another servant later, but this mm-hmm. is before that. This is a different scene. Oh, okay. Um, but right, so she wants to speak openly with Laris, which is a mistake, her second big mistake here, of speaking too freely with shady characters. Well,
1: and she throws an adult tantrum here of like, why won't anybody take my side? And it's like, because you act like an asshole most of the time. You're not likable.
0: And he says like, oh, you're not partial, and nobody can be partial here, but she's like, at least you'll be partial to me.
1: Right. You know? She's just, now she's petulant. And it, this is, again, is the naivete that you can't afford to have with the amount of power that she has and is wielding as queen, is it puts a target on your back. And especially for people like Laris. So Kristen Cole, like, yeah, he can manipulate her to a certain extent, but he's so misguided with his own uh, <laughs> unhingedness. But Laris, man, that, like, he is a little finger for this show.
0: Cole is playing checkers while Laris is playing chess. Yes. Larry's Gives her a long stare as he devises his plan to give her what she wants. So yeah, so then he goes down to the dungeons, what, which, whichever dungeons these are. All these people are on death row. We see that his um, sigil, I don't know what we would call it. His, he's got a firefly or a bumblebee or something in his... Uh, yeah, it looked
1: like some sort of like beetle snail or something.
0: Yeah, in his, in his cane. I thought it was a firefly. Um, but he releases the prisoners their tongues cut off. So presumably these people do not know how to write or anything like that.
1: And so I'm trying to be better at admitting when I don't know something. So like I said some in the last podcast that it was Lord Aaron who read in the book. It was actually Ned Stark who pointed it out to me who was reading it in that book. Um, but if I remember correctly, actually Varys in Game of Thrones, his children that he had report to him had their tongues cut out. Um, so there, there is is this when it starts, that uh, a lord of whisperers?
0: Oh, this is probably an old tradition, I would guess. Uh,
1: or is this something yeah. that they always do? And and I remember my first thought is they could still tell people stuff, just not with their voice. Right. And I was like, oh, I think the, the literacy thing here. Right. But you could still like point to stuff and you can still hear, so someone could be like, nod your head yes if I ask this question. So it kind of, I don't know, I, I don't really buy the whole cutting out the tongue thing, but there is a tradition about this for mm. The Whisperers to have their well, subservience are, not have tongues. Right.
0: These are low credibility, low intelligence, or at least low education people.
1: But who apparently are very good at pulling off murder plots and well, assassinations. I'm, I'm going
0: to assume that Laris, who is very familiar with Heron Hall, told him how to do it, where to go, things like that. But then we take out, at this point, our two favorite characters. <laughs> I didn't love the way this was filmed, only in the sense that you couldn't figure out if they were both trapped or if just Harwin was trapped and what the door went to where, because it's, it seemed like, all right, even if Harwin dies in the fire, why can't uh, Lionel go out the other door or whatever? But it mm-hmm. th- doesn't matter. They're both burning a fire. So I mentioned in our first podcast that having read the book, I knew that they died in fire, but I did not know that Laris uh, had it set. So there's a few theories. So the, the whole book is different interpretations and different theories. And one of the ones I'm glad they didn't go with is that one of the big rumors is that Viserys has this done because Viserys doesn't want the headache of, um, you know, uh, this other family fathering his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they didn't go that route because they, they could have. Interp- they could make this book, you know, there's, there's three different authors of Fire and Blood who are explaining this story, and the writers of this show could have gone with any of the three interpretations mm-hmm. and still made it work. So Larry's doing it is much better because Viserys is a character I liked. And I remember when I read in the book, I was like, Oh, that's kind of sad if that's what happened. (laughs) Um,
1: I did this ending for Lord strong and Harwin strong. It's just, it's so sad. Um, It's just, it's, it's tragic. And again, it's what we're talking about of like, you can't stay on top for too long. Um, And this
0: is right after the scene where he says goodbye to his family And, you know, I'll write. It'll be by Raven. And Jace is putting things together and asking if Harwin is his father. So this is, as you said before, this is the only time where it's directly brought up. Of course, it would be a kid who would bring it up who's innocent in his thinking. He's not a strategist. He doesn't want to dance around it. Or he he doesn't understand to even consider dancing around it.
1: And once again, we see Renera not deny. Uh, I mean, she did deny to Alicent certain things, but she never denied certain things, uh, like with the series. Like, we, we've seen a couple times where people don't deny things. They just kind of misdirect or go somewhere else. And so she doesn't deny anything that Jay says. Um, but this, again, is where she says, you're a Targaryen and that's all that matters.
0: Right. So she decides it's time to go to Dragonstone. We see Lenor Which and, I think is a good move. Yeah. We see Lenor and Carl training in the yard. She tells Lenor we're going.
1: And in front of Carl with a cue... She, yeah. she tells Laner, bring him.
0: Yep. We're going to need all the swords we can get. So but it's also
1: a way says. for Carl to see that Rhaenyra knows what's going on, which I think is kind of already obvious here. But she knows what's going on, but she's saying, I'm cool with this. Please come. Like, you guys can still be together, but mm-hmm. you, you have to defend the family too here. Right. And uh, now uh, Laner is getting his wish of probably some battle.
0: Yeah, they show up to Dragonstone family, servants, everything like that. And just, I don't know, just a nice family shot, I felt like. We had Lena in the background holding the baby. Renera's got her arms around her kids. And Carl's in back and then a bunch of other people. But this is where she used his words that the wise sailor, you know, leaves as the storm is gathering. So, uh, And
1: then they must train with the dragons outside because they don't have the pit anymore.
0: Yeah, so I guess they... Brought Vermax and whoever else the Strong Kids have as dragons.
1: Mm -hmm. And the egg that they picked for the baby.
0: Then Alessence is informed of the demise of the Strongs. And... I didn't want this. You gotta be smarter if you didn't want it.
1: I think she feels bad for herself. Because she recognizes how she helped bring this about. But... She didn't seem overly distraught either.
0: Right, she's she's upset that she led to these people's death, but she's not upset about their death.
1: And where right. is the decency?
0: <laughs> right, because
1: um, it's it's a it's not a warrior's death, which is something that comes up. I mean, Dragon Rider with, with right. Lena, but like, it's not a great death for someone who serves so faithfully as hand and and Harwin Strong. Where the worst thing that he did was love Renera and have a family with her.
0: And I mentioned this in the, f- the first podcast, but Alisantz right there should have had him executed or just sent Cole after him. Something like that. Because how can you keep someone like that around? Mm-hmm. It's like... He, it's like, more of this
1: naivete of like, are you kidding me?
0: Right. He's like, oh, you're going to thank me later and blah, blah, blah. So, like, he's ensnaring her. And that's what they said in the inside of the episode. He's ensnaring her. But only... He's not really. Like, he is because she's... Allowing. It. Right. Yeah.
1: And she's so caught up in her anxieties about things. And she's just very, she's got tunnel vision. She's got this myopic view of how things are and where they're going to go and what her options are. And, And it just, it does not feel very accurate, even though not to say that there isn't any legitimacy to her claims. But she's just missing the big picture often, I feel like.
0: All right, let's do our little Damon chunk here. We see him and Lena riding and giving a show to these people, and um, is a
1: big, yeah. big dragon, and it does look old. They yeah. did a good job showing us a very old dragon.
0: Yeah, Vigor looks great. He's huge. He looks—it's a she, I guess. Or it's unclear to me how um, dragon sexes work, but <laughs> she is a she, and she's huge. She's got hair coming out. She looks battle scarred. Uh, great-looking dragon. So, presumably, whoever gets control of that dragon, I think, is probably going to have a big advantage in the war to come. But they're riding around. They're giving a little show to these people. And are they in Pentos? Yeah, they're in Pentos. And we see that they have two daughters and that she's pregnant. And this Pentosi guy is talking about the triarchy and what a problem they're going to be and that they've aligned with Dorne. So, this is coming up again. This, this has been a few times in the episode. And he's basically asking for help. And Lena doesn't want to help it, but Damon is interested. She touches his hand, but then she lets go. So it's really hard to... Like, our first impressions of this is that Damon is happy and they're a good match. But you kind of go back and forth on where Well, he's happy at. with
1: what? He He's clearly not happy with where he's at in his yeah. life. I paid attention to their scenes. He is affectionate to her on more than one occasion. The way he holds the belly, and I think he even kisses it and brings his his head down to her um there there are a couple different scenes we get of damon and 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 lena and she even says i understand that i may not be the wife you wish and right away he's like lena like as if he's going to contradict her and damon's the type where if he doesn't give a fuck he won't say anything at all i i think he does care about her and there is affection there i just think that he is suffering from a lot of uh there's just a lack of content in terms of his direction I noticed there are two times that Lena tells Damon in two different scenes. First, she says, we are more than this. And the second time is, you are more than this. And I, if she's going to say the same thing twice in an episode here, I feel like that's pretty significant of Damon doesn't do well. It's that restless Targaryen syndrome that we've mentioned before. Uh, but she's telling him, you're more than this. You need to do more. And I think that's where the lack of content comes from.
0: Right. Yeah, they're just basically... On vacation for like 10 years, apparently. Um, but, but I think
1: they're a good match, him and Lena.
0: Yeah. So she has her meeting with her daughter who doesn't have a dragon.
1: And we we do see a scene where Damon is studying somewhere and he is teaching something to their eldest daughter. Right. So there is affection and a relationship clearly there. But in the scene with Lena and the second daughter, she says that...
0: Damon ignores her. Yeah. So and and,
1: and that Lena doesn't correct her.
0: So this... The way I interpret it is because she doesn't have a dragon. And so is this a thing? So he's a snob, just like Aegon, mm-hmm. and just like whatever else. That's the way I'm, I'm interpreting it for now. But why would he treat one different than the other in this situation? And Lena explains to us that half the dragon eggs don't hatch, but it's not too late. So this is where we get that information. She tamed Vegar at 15.
1: I did wonder if Lena was going to die. I don't know if I knew so soon here, but when she had this conversation with her daughter, how she didn't have a dragon until 15 and that then she got Vagar, And I was like, wow, she's really saying this. Wouldn't that be set up for Vagar to actually be taken by her daughter? But it means that Lena would have to die.
0: Well, right. So speaking of her dying, so she's trying to give birth, but the kid is just not working out. Damon is offered the same thing, as Viserys was, the C-section thing. And um, he made
1: a joke of it with Viserys in the beginning, and now he's in this position.
0: I don't remember what the joke was. I saw that in the inside the episode, but I don't recall that.
1: I'm trying um, to as well. But he was just very cavalier at the time with certain things, and now he's there, and, and he does not make the same decision that Viserys did.
0: Well, it everything with Damon, I don't know how much I like this or not. Everything is ambiguous about the way he looks and the way he's acting it, and it as a viewer, I like it, but like we don't know where his head's at when his wife Ray died we don't know where his head's at when Lena he's offered this situation here like he looks distressed, but he's passive but he says mm. my
1: brave girl right it's he knows she's going to die and he knows that she's this brave girl and her bravery cannot take her through and survives this so and I think he does he decides he's not going to have her die the way that Emma did she deserves something better he shakes his head no to the OB that's (laughs) that's not the way
0: I took it I took it as somehow Lena snuck out while they were having this conversation and then he looks and sees that she's gone and that's when his head kind of shook
1: oh no I took it differently Um, because I think she doesn't like
0: it's Doesn't really make sense how and when she snuck out and how Damon wasn't aware of it because she goes outside. Or he lets her. Yeah, maybe. But then he goes to get her and he calls her name right before the deed is done. But we talked about this in our first podcast and just this was a, I thought it was just a really good dragon scene overall. The way the dragon looked, the emotions we get from the dragon given the CGI and that it's a monster. Even those sounds. (laughs) Right. So it's like a
1: dog whimpering.
0: Right. So the dragon is having a, some inner turmoil about doing this, but then does it. And it was so in the books, she dies in childbirth, I think, just like everyone else. So this was a, a better ending, especially for a show, even though it didn't. I don't know if it fully made sense how and when she got out of there, it doesn't matter. But this
1: is, I think, an example where there were choices of the show creators of how they go about this. And I really appreciate how they did it for Lena's character, it yeah. did her justice. And, and a lot of times I think they short some of the women characters in these shows. So I just appreciate when they go a direction that seems to give them a little bit more consistency with their characters.
0: And then now Damon's going to need something else to do. So it's, it'll be interesting to see where he goes, what he does with his two daughters.
1: Well, and the the two people, so Harwin and Lena, who were helping keep renair and Damon tied up in these... Current ways of life for them for the last 10 years have now been taken out. So how does that change Damon and Renera of the directions they go when this connection and tethering to a more traditional life, if you will, gets severed?
0: And will it bring them together?
1: I, I feel like in true Targaryen sense, absolutely. Yeah. Which I'm sure will just further upset the modesty police. <laughs>
0: And then the show ends on Laris' um, monologue that's over like a montage of scenes. And this is, to me, Laris' Chaos is a Ladder speech that Littlefinger gave. Because it's a voiceover. I'm calling it the Love is a Downfall speech. And because um, he says that in the. In I, the know. I know. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I just found that yeah. funny.
0: But this is almost a, totally reminded me of little Finger speech. It's it's yeah. over a bunch of scenes, and one of the scenes that it's over is Viserys um, weeping over Emma. Apparently, he's I believe yeah, he's, he's kissing her, her, ring. her ring. So yeah, he misses his.
1: He's alone by his little like castle. Later, his, his model. His model, and again, Alicent is. She's just abandoned all friend, confidant, wifely duties to him at this point, and and he. She's done to him what she has felt. He is lonely. And he, his daughter, whom he loves Rhaenyra so much, is, has just left with the kids. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the theme here and the, the gist of Laris' speech of um, Love is a Downfall is that we are going to see this whole war occur because of parents influencing and trying to protect their children um, he, he and,
1: does say that about love but he's really connecting it to the love parents have for children
0: right and not only is is it it makes them uh, manipulatable <laughs> makes them more easy to be manipulated so he's going to take full advantage of this and we see that rat again Viserys notices that rat it's got to be a different rat ten years on mm-hmm. but uh, that's that's some symbolism that some film student can explain to me what it means because I'm, I'm not fully understanding it <laughs> <laughs> I did I did see something some comment that these filmmakers are big into symbolism and yeah. the Game of Thrones guys D and D's were not into symbolism. They they said some off putting comment like symbolism is for uh freshman and college film majors or something like that. Some some dismissal comment. But I'm I'm enjoying the symbolism in the show, even when I don't oh, understand. it. I love it, it. Yeah. yeah. Um all right, let's do our rankings. I think I went first last time.
1: Right? No,
0: I did You went first. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. It's hard for me to rank because we watched it twice. So I will say the first time through, I felt the tension in the room. It was a very tense episode, not knowing what was going to happen. And this is one of those episodes I could see after the season, me ranking it higher or lower. Mm-hmm. I think the time jump is jarring. It's almost like they should have finished the season. I had this as the first episode of season two. Mm-hmm. But um, But it was very it accomplished what it wanted really well. So it's, it is hard for me to rank and on any given day, I might give it a different ranking.
1: Yeah. I, I did have some criticisms of like, you know, how did Kristen Cole just be allowed? And there, there were some things there, the time jump was a bit jarring, but in a lot of ways though, I liked it. it. It was a very sad episode for me, but because it evokes such a strong emotional reaction too. And not just because sad stuff happens, but how they, they, they pulled it off. Um, I, I, right now, my inclination is to give it an eight.
0: Okay. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.